0: Well, this is it. We made it. Last week in our series, the final week, the final message in our series called "Mind Games." And before we get into the message uh, again, uh, can we just express our thanks to Mark and Mary Miller? They're hosting online today on our website and on Facebook. But Mark and Mary Miller brought all of their board games to help decorate the front of the church. Can we just show our appreciation? If you're watching at home, say thank you in chat. Uh, to Mark and Mary for sharing their small collection of games that they've collected over the years. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Addie Seamayer and I counted the number of copies of Monopoly that are on the stage. And Mark Miller has 20 copies of Monopoly that he has brought uh, for us to share including this one and Josh you may need to go to a larger camera shot for a second here Uh, but this is his pride and joy this is Monopoly by the Beatles or for the Beatles or with the Beatles or something like that everybody say ooh everybody say ah I would have made a great Vanna don't you think Uh, This one's not even opened. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to touch it. So, Mark, if I'm not allowed to touch it, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure that everyone saw this particular board game. That is fantastic. And uh, I'm just so thankful that they were willing to share all of this and show it for us and basically loan it to the church for the last four weeks as we journeyed through this series together. Because next week, they're all gone, right? Right? It's a brand new series that we're starting. with, called Picture Perfect Family. I'm excited for that. But next week, all of these board games are gone. And Mark's going to come and he's going to take all of them home. Now, I've already told you how many copies of Monopoly there are. Here's a question for you. How many trips do you think it will take for him to get all of these back in his car? I mean, we have a kitchen cart that we put food on. It's got three different uh, shelves that he can put games on. So he'll be able to use that here. But, but how many trips do you think he'll need to take? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? How many do you think? There's a lot, right? Five, five. Five guesses. We'll have to ask Mark and see how many trips it takes for him to get all of the games back into his car and back to his house. I think it's interesting that um, if we were to watch Mark do that, if we were to come and just observe him to see how many trips it would take, we know what would be more than one, right? Every one of us would say it has to be more than one trip because there is no way that you can take all of these things at once and stack them in your arms and carry them all out to your vehicle all at once, right? I used to be a uh, grocery carryout Person when I was uh, a teenager, and uh, where, I, where we grew up in Sundridge, Ontario, Canada, and uh, we would carry your groceries out to your vehicle for you, and we had carts that, special carts that we would take, special buggies that we would put all of your uh, purchases on, so basically what we wanted to do was not only provide you with a service and uh, really help those who were coming up from the city who didn't have this kind of surface or service, we also didn't want you stealing our shopping carts. That's why we did it. So, we would carry the groceries out for you, and the other guys and I, we'd make it a game and try and get as many grocery bags on our hands as possible. And so, we'd just be walking out with, you know, and we'd like the blood would be, cutting, uh, be cut off from our fingers, and the, the plastic handles would be cutting into our hands, leaving giant marks, because we'd try and take everything. But there were times we couldn't take everything at once. And we know that Mark won't try and take every one of these games at once. It's impossible. As a matter of fact, if you were to pick a new game, I've never played this game, say, and Mark says, let me teach you. And he pulls out the instructions to teach you how to play this game. He may not tell you everything that you need to know about how to play the game because if he overloads you with information at the front, do you know what happens? You stop listening and you go, it's too much. I'm not interested in playing the game anymore. It just becomes, instead of a fun thing, it becomes an anxiety-filled thing. And so, what Mark may do, as a matter of fact, this is what he's done with me, is he's taught me different games that he's owned. He says, well, let me show you some of the basics. Let me teach you where the, sta- where the starting point is. This is kind of the goal, and as we go, we'll go through a couple of hands, and I'll show you how to play the game. Has anyone ever taught you how to play a game like that? They don't give you all the rules at once, right? They say, this is the starting point. Let me help you as you go along. That's actually what I hoped to accomplish with our series called Mind Games. However, I don't think we actually did that. I was afraid and I was nervous with the way that we arranged the topics in the scriptures for this series. That it would feel like what we were doing was, here's all the rules on how to win the mind game. Bang, bang, bang. And it was just rules after rules after rules where you're going. I I just... I don't know where to start, right? We introduced the series three weeks ago talking about how our thought life eventually becomes our life and that we need to renew our minds with God's truth. We learned in that first week that we don't always pay attention to everything all at once. We have things that take priorities in our minds, but we are always learning We are always learning something new. We can always develop new neural pathways. And so we can always be renewing our mind with God's truth. So we're going to introduce the idea that our minds direct our lives. So we started to leverage that in the next couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about what to do when our mind plays emotional games with us. We talked about what to do when we don't feel like doing what we need to do. And Paul said to train our minds to think about excellent and praiseworthy things. And he said, when you aren't sure what those are, what those specific things should be, he says, follow excellent and praiseworthy people. People who are putting this into practice. In other words, fill your mind with the right fuel. Give it the right food. And last week, we talked about what to do, what the the rules were when our minds lie to us. We talked about how to guard our lives with truth by analyzing our thought life. And let's just be honest. Those three weeks have been a lot, right? That's a lot of information. That's a lot of processing. Because we're not just thinking We're thinking about thinking. And when we're analyzing, thinking about thinking, we're not sure what we're thinking. We kind of get lost in what we're thinking and so we just stop thinking and start Netflixing. We just stop. So today, I knew that last week we would give out the thought audit and I had a hunch that it wouldn't be downloaded. And statistics say that the people who got on the server was me trying to make sure that the document was able to be downloaded. There's not many other statistics that show that we used it because thinking about thinking is hard and this is not a place of judgment. You're not going to be yelled at if you didn't take advantage of those uh, questions. You didn't take advantage of the thought audit. What I want to do as we wrap up the series today is simply get us to the starting line. I want to Pull a page from the book of Mark Miller who might be teaching us a game right now. Who says, well, here's kind of the objective. You know what that is. But here's here's how it's going to sort of go. But here's how it starts. And as we go, we'll put the rules into practice. We'll teach you how this works as we go. That's what I want to do today. What is the starting line? If we are going to win at the games that our minds like to play with us? Because our minds do love to give us so much information that we just overload trying to process it all. And I think it's a biblical concept to hit the brakes and go back to the starting line and say, this is where I can start. All of those other rules are super helpful, but this is where to start. That's what we want to do today. So what is that place? What is that starting line? If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Philippians chapter 4. We were on Philippians chapter 4 just a few weeks ago when we talked about focusing on excellent and praiseworthy things, but just a couple of verses before, we're encouraged to do this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer. Prayer is the starting line. Prayer is the starting line to win at the games that our minds play with us. Why? Because anything that brings us anxiety, we can bring to God. And God says, you give that to me, and I will give you peace. And that peace will guard your heart, will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. The first line of defense in winning the game that our minds love to play with us is to pray. because. Prayer brings peace. Prayer comes first because prayer brings peace. How does that work? Well, prayer is the opportunity to talk to someone who can do something about what you're experiencing in life. Right? Prayer is not a set of poems that are written down, that you read. It's a conversation that we have. It's a talk that we have. It's like you chatting with family chatting with coworkers chatting with your neighbors except you get to chat with the god of the universe who is sovereign above all and you can bring to him anything that brings you anxiety and he as a matter of fact he welcomes that good businesses have this set up in their culture right Good businesses have a place, for a system in place for people, for employees to go up the chain of command and say, hey, this isn't working, this is really a challenging thing and I need this solved, will you help me? Give me some guidance, give me some feedback, give me some input, I need to know what to do here. And that's way better than complaining. Every business has that. But good businesses have the ability for people to complain to the right department. Complaining to the right department allows you to solve a problem. Venting up the chain of command gives clarity and allows for solutions to be found. This is God's way of saying, you don't have to bring it to an underling. You don't have to bring it to like, you know angel, uh, you know, subs in, in department C in this office, and they're only open these particular hours. God says, you come directly to me. You come directly to the boss of everything and give that to me. My door is always open. And that's amazing because in every company I've ever worked for, there's always been a chance to report to here's some of the things i'm experiencing i'm having problems i'm having challenges where can i get some help but it's only in our relationship with god it's only in christianity that we get to go to the boss and the boss wants us to come i mean if you were to do that at your work today if you were to bring something directly to the boss if it's not a small company if it's a larger company the boss is like why are you wasting my time Go talk to your direct report. Go talk to someone else in some other department. Go solve it. Don't talk to me. But God says it's worth his time because we're not just an employee to God, are we? We're family. And family wants to know what's on family's mind. Family wants to know what's on family members' minds. And that's great. I mean, Krista shares with me, here's some of the things that are happening at her work, and I'd love to be able to help her because I'm family, and I can't because I have no authority at her work. But she can go to people at her workplace and say, here's some of the challenges that I'm experiencing, and they can help her draft up a solution. We get the best of both worlds with God. We get the boss of everything who can do something about our problem, and we get a family member, a father who cares. That's why we're told to pray. Prayer is our first response because it takes our problems to the greatest problem solver that we could ever know. Prayer comes first because prayer brings peace. But can I be honest? How many of you have ever read that verse and said, "So where's my peace?" Where I have anxiety, I prayed, and I still have anxiety. What do I do? You know, sometimes anxiety comes because of mental illness. It's not rational anxiety. There's not an explanation behind it. And in those kinds of senses, there's doctors that you need to talk to. Sometimes God doesn't deal like that. He doesn't remove those sources, those irrational, they don't make sense, they don't, they aren't rooted in a circumstance. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about the anxieties that come from the circumstances in our lives. As a matter of fact, if you look at the whole context of Philippians, what you find is that Paul is writing to a church who couldn't get along with each other. Other Christians were the cause of their anxiety. And specifically, there were a couple of women who couldn't get along in that particular church. Remember, I've always told you that I think it's great that we live in an age where where the Bible canon is complete because that means that our church isn't going to be specifically referenced in the Bible for all people at all time to kind of know what's happening, you know, our dirty laundry. Here is this poor church in Philippi. These two women aren't getting along. They're, They're both ministry leaders. And Paul says, I want to help you get along. Your actually your your disagreements, your inability to get along is actually hampering the cause of Christ. So it's other people that are causing the problem here. Raise your hand if you've ever had other people cause you problems. That's everyone. Raise your hand. You know it. I know it. Absolutely you know that. And so what Paul is talking about is circumstantial, things that, are happening to, things that are happening to you that are outside of your control, not mental illness. But even when it's other people, have you ever prayed this and said, okay, God, I give you these things and you haven't sensed peace? Odds are it's probably true. I've talked to far too many people who say that's the promise of Scripture, but how come it's not a promise that I've realized in my life? And this is actually a complaint of culture. Have you noticed recently, just over the last few years, just actually very recently, that the phrase that we're offering thoughts and prayers is now a mockery? in uh, non-Christian circles. I'll pray for you feels like it's a slap in the face to people who aren't Christians. That's great, but what is that actually going to do for me? And it's true that sometimes Christians use thoughts and prayers as a way to get around actually helping, right? But there's no question that inside Christianity and outside Christianity, it feels like this promise, that if we give our requests, the things that are causing anxiety to us, to God, in prayer, don't give us the peace that goes beyond all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds. And we want that. So why does it seem like that? It's because Paul's not taking all of his time in Philippians to explain how prayer works. It's already been explained in other places. And that means that prayer doesn't just bring peace. Prayer also does something else. You see, if all we think about in prayer is, I'm bringing a request, I'm bringing a request, I'm bringing a request, I'm bringing a request... That makes life all about us. And that's too small, isn't it? Life does not revolve around us. As if you'd like to test that, I would like you to, when you leave today, uh, once you get home, go out into your backyard or go out into the common area of your apartment buildings or wherever you live, and I want you to yell that the weather needs to change. Just do that. Now, it's Rochester. It actually may change. But just yell and see if the weather changes for you. Do you know what will likely happen? The weather will continue on because life is not all about you and what you want. Life is bigger than that. And what we often do with a verse like this, this Philippians verse, is that we make it a blank check verse. I do this, then God owes me this. We make it a a genie verse, where if I do this, then God comes out of the bottle and goes, what do you need? What do you need? Right? That's what he does. He doesn't do that. That's because there's a second thing that prayer does. Prayer comes first because prayer brings peace, but prayer comes first also because prayer brings perspective. Prayer brings peace and prayer brings perspective. How we pray matters. And as a matter of fact, Jesus invited his disciples to pray in a specific way. He took the time out to actually teach his disciples how to pray because his disciples looked around and said, nobody prays like you do. Nobody has the results like you do in your life. There's clearly a connection between the two things. So teach us to pray. And Jesus invited us to pray in a way that we invite God to change our perspective, our outlook on our circumstances, which then leads us to a place where we know how to bring our anxieties to God in a way that changes our past, our present, and our future, and we find the peace that God promises. You know that prayer, don't you? It's called the Lord's Prayer, and we find it in Matthew chapter 6. You can see it here. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. So, how you pray now needs to follow this model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is the model that Jesus tells us to pray when we pray? He says, start with who God is and your relationship with Him. Start there. Start with God as Father. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the starting point for prayer. Not the things that bring us anxiety, not the circumstances that bring us anxiety, but our relationship with When my wife comes home, she doesn't walk upstairs and find my son and I at our computers working and then just start complaining. No, she comes and says, Hi, honey, how was your day? Gives us both a kiss. It starts with relationship. And God's the same way. We start with who we are in Christ. By addressing God as Father. And back when Jesus said this, this was a revolutionary thing because nobody addressed God that way. This is not respectful to call Him Father. But yet, and and we see that, the Old Testament has Father as God only seven times. But in the New Testament, it's over 275 times directly or indirectly that God is addressed as Father. The relationship matters. He's not just some indifferent force or cosmic energy or genie in a bottle or, you know, some kind of blank check that we get to just go to over and over again for what we need, trying to get God to hear us. As believers, we start with who we are in Christ. We are His children. And that makes Him Father. And after we start with that relationship, we remember who He is. He is God. He is in heaven. That's where his place is. He's not of this reality. He's above that. And when you think of what God in heaven is, what picture comes to your mind? For me, it's Revelation 4, that all of these horrible things are happening in all of these churches, all through Revelation 1 through 3, and then John is whisked up to heaven, and what do we find? God's sitting there, and everything's perfect. The circumstances on earth aren't phasing our Father in heaven. Amen? And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking that God will be God to us. Hallowed be your name. Is God, remind me of who you are. One, that I'm not you. And that you are. And no one is like you. We get that idea Of what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees this picture of perfect justice and holiness and love in in God Himself. And in that moment for Isaiah, it's an act of worship. I think Jesus is inviting us in prayer to start with worship, not just singing. But more than that, a reminder of the gospel. That because of Jesus, God is our Father. And God can be our God personally, intimately. Hallowed be your name means in my life, be fully God to me. And then after we talk to God about who He is, we speak to Him about His agenda. Because God is not only perfect, but God has a plan. And that plan is perfect. And history is moving towards a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And when you pray... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're asking for a slice of that now in your life. And that means that what we're asking for is God's rule in our lives, not just his handouts. It would be silly to pray for God's kingdom to come later if I'm not willing to submit to the rule of Jesus in my life now. So, we're submitting our agenda, our perspective, to his perspective and his plan. And we're forced to ask this question Whose kingdom am I actually trying to build? That's how Jesus is teaching us to pray. We start with relationship, God is our Father. And then we remember who he is, that God is God, and we ask him to be God to us. We ask for his agenda to take all priority over our own agenda. And then we pray for our part. We pray for God's provision, our daily bread, which, if you think about it, doesn't seem like that much of a big deal, right? But that's because, you know, the first world problem is not that we lack food on a daily basis. Most of us. But go around the world where refrigeration doesn't exist. You don't shop weekly, do you? You shop daily in those places. Every day you're going to the store and buying a little bit more. And you may have enough money to purchase supplies that you need, but what if there's a supply chain issue and you can't get the things that you want? What do you do? It's in those types of environments, I think, that they understand most clearly that they're asking daily for what they need to follow and to serve. And then, of course, as we use what we have to have enough for the day and we see someone else who doesn't have enough for the day, what do we do? Do we ignore it or do we help? So we pray that God will provide our needs as we serve. As we serve his agenda. Which is to reconcile people to himself. Which means that we're reconciling people to ourselves. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for God's pardon. Which motivates us. Because that's how God asks us to treat others as well. To ask them for forgiveness. And as we think of food on a daily basis. We are to think of being forgiven on a daily basis. And offering forgiveness on a daily basis. Because People are sinners. And there comes points in Christians' lives where as life is getting together and God is blessing and God is taking care of us, that sometimes we develop a holier-than-thou attitude to say, I deserve this blessing more than you because I earned it in some way, rather than God just simply showing His favor. So this helps us avoid that. A daily asking for forgiveness, making sure that we're right with other people. And then finally, praying for God's protection. Lead us not, deliver us from temptation and evil, right? That the people that we think are our enemies in this world, well, that's probably not it. We have a greater enemy that we need to be protected from who really we don't have a lot to stand against on our own, that we need God's defenses, we need God's direction, we need God's protection. What does it look like to pray this regularly? best example I can think of was the very first church I ever worked at. It's a large church, uh, close to 200, 300 people. And we had a Senior pastor on staff. We had an associate pastor who led worship and administration and such. And then I was pastor of children and youth. And then we had a secretary in the office. And the four of us would meet regularly, weekly or bi weekly, for staff meetings. And we'd have a time of prayer to start. And uh, the associate pastor would always pray this almost without fail Father, thank you for who you are. And then he'd stop. Father, thank you for who you are. So he started with the relationship. Then he moved to who God is. His character. And he paused. And that gave us a time to reset that. Of course, we had all these things that we needed to talk about in leading the church and helping it grow and uh, help to develop mature followers of Jesus Christ. I get that, but... Just stopping and praying, Father, thank you for who you are, was that pause that we needed to move our our, our eyes, our perspective off of our circumstances and to our Savior. And that was such a refresher. That was so helpful. I think sometimes Christians today, me included, probably a little bit more at the forefront. <laughs> when I think of my own prayer life. I like to rush to the, uh, here's, I, I need my daily bread. And as a matter of fact, if you could make it my daily steak and my daily baked potato that's fully loaded with a little bit of dessert, all calorie free, that would be fantastic. I'd like that. I think sometimes Christians, we rush into the throne room of God and God says, it's so good to see you and we're just basically like, Yeah, but here's what I need. And sometimes our pain does that to us. But I think if we're regularly praying how Jesus teaches us to pray, we gain that perspective. And we bring our anxieties to Him, recognizing that He is God. And our Savior makes our circumstances pale in comparison. No matter how big we think they are, our God is bigger than every one of our circumstances combined. And then as we bring those anxieties to Him, He offers us peace because we know that we are in the best of care. The starting point matters, so start with God. When you pray it's not that our petitions and requests don't matter we're instructed in scripture to bring them to him but they can sometimes be presented in a way that what we try to do is basically tell god yeah we know what we need and we be, try to become god in the presence of god so prayer is our best defense because it gives us peace and it gives us perspective Prayer puts us in our proper place and puts God in His. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. And communion is a celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a celebration of the gospel, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us. And I'm going to ask uh, my wife to come and play a little bit on the piano just as we distribute. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to prepare your hearts through prayer. To invite you to start with who God is. There is no greater example of the love and the justice of God that He wants for you, has offered to you through Jesus, than Jesus Christ. And so let's start with that relationship. Let's start with the fact that God is our Father. And thank Him for who He is that you most clearly see in Jesus Christ. This table is open to anyone who is a follower of Jesus, young or old. If you are watching online and haven't gotten some elements and would like to join us, grab some bread or some crackers, some juice and some water. But let's take the time as we distribute over the next few moments to say, Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for who Jesus is. Let's prepare to celebrate together. Top layer, it's a thin see-through layer to reveal the wafer underneath. And then let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. We hold in our hands a symbol of our precious Lord Jesus' body that was broken for us. That he would take the penalty of sin into himself and offer his life as a substitute for the penalty that we deserved. It's so overwhelming. And because of him, we can call you Father. We remember his broken body as we take partake together. Let's peel back the next layer, revealing the juice underneath. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. That you would shed and spill your blood. Reminding us, showing us, demonstrating and proving that our sins have been paid for. And that because of Jesus, we can boldly walk into the throne room of heaven in prayer, in worship. And you welcome us because we are your sons and daughters. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and choose to follow him, we experience salvation, adoption, we remember His spilled blood poured out for us as an offering for the remission of our sins as we partake together. Amen. Amen. Now, wouldn't be the end of a series. We wouldn't end well if we didn't have some questions for you to talk about on your way home or to talk out, talk uh, with your family or your roommates around the lunch table today. Um, these questions may come up in your group sometime this week. Here they are. In your experience, what do Christians pray for most often? In your experience, what do Christians pray for most often? In your experience, what do you pray for most often? When have you experienced God's peace and perspective? Because of prayer. And finally, when you pray, how can you focus more on God before focusing on yourself? Prayer is our first line of defense, our best defense because it brings us peace, it brings us perspective. So let's pray to our Father and thank Him for who He is as we bring our requests to Him.